speak about this morning, something a little bit different in that um, over the years I, I haven't heard it uh, spoken of in any depth, but um, obviously we've, we're all used to the fact that we have agape meals. And so, you know, it's not just a time where we come together and eat, okay? It's a time, uh, there's a reason why these things are done and there's a reason why it's called an agape meal. And so I wanted to, and so in light of that, I, I kind of felt drawn to consider the scriptures this morning with you and find this, the, the biblical understanding and basis of, well, what is an agape meal? Why is it that we would have these things? And so um, when I grew up as a young Christian, we would have what we called potluck dinners or um, you know, times of fellowship with a church assembly. When I came to Kingsway, it was called a, an agape meal. And so there is various terms and um, things that are associated, but in principle they all f uh, come around and represent a, a fundamental truth that we find in the Bible. And if we were to give it a, a proper term, really, there's a scripture in the, in the Bible, and it only appears really once, but it's what the Bible refers to as a love feast. A love feast. This is what happened in the early church as they as they formed and as they continued in fellowship with one another, they would have what they called love feasts. And it was out of these feasts that they would, um, um, they would come together, spend time together, fellowship with one another and so forth. So I want to examine this scripturally because when we talk about a love feast or an agape meal or a potluck dinner or whatever these terms are, we are dealing with a fundamental truth in the Word of God that deals with the issue of fellowship. The fellowship of God's people, the communion of God's people, spending valuable time together with one another. And, uh, and that centres around a greater truth this morning, which has to do with the word agape itself, meaning a love feast, meaning the love of God. That we would abide in the love of God. And together, in fellowship with one another, the agape love of God, remember agape being love, God's love, was so manifest in our hearts and through us uh, that we would share it with one another. And so it's in this context that we want to consider the agape meal this morning. Now there's another Greek word, agape being a Greek word, there's another Greek word, that, uh, and there's a number for love, but there's the other one, philio, which talks about brotherly love. But in Scripture, when it refers to the love feast and other references, uh, we are dealing here with the agape love of God, not the philio love. The filial love is something that can be uh, uh, natural to mankind, natural to human nature. But when we talk about the agape love of God, we're talking about an exclusive love that because that God is love. And so we're talking about God's love when we talk about agape love. And it's this agape love that is to manifest amongst the brethren, that is to manifest in fellowship with one another, and always a meal provides a great platform for that. Amen? Because we all love to eat. But greater still is the, the fellowship and the love of God that is on display and being manifested during these times. And so uh, we want to consider it further. Now let me say this. The agape love is not something that comes natural to the human heart. Okay? I mean, to the Christian, 
it is something that is to become natural in the fact that we walk after the Spirit, not after the flesh. But in the natural sense, agape love is not something that is natural to our human tendencies. And so therefore, we find exhortations in the Bible regarding the love of God. And so I want to consider that with you. If you can turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to use this as a launching pad to establish what we want to look at this morning. But Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and verse 25. Now, the writer, verse 24, says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, obviously, I want to focus in on verse 24, because there, here we are seeing a principle regarding the agape love of God. Because the word here found in verse 24, where it says to stir up love, is the word agape. And so the stirring up of the love of God is what is being uh, pointed to here. And this is in the context of what we want to consider as it relates to fellowship, the assembling of ourselves together, whether that be in church as we're here this morning or in a fellowship where we're partaking of food or the various aspects of communion. They all are associated with uh, this truth, the love of God. And the scripture says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love. And now again, this kind of alludes to the fact that it's not natural for us. It's something that will require some effort from our part that will cause us to have to focus and change the, uh, the way we are naturally inclined. And so we are exhorted to let us consider one another. Now think about this word. Because consider here, we just think of it in the, in the English sense, to consider, to be considerate. But there's something a little bit more deeper when we consider the, the Greek word here that's being used. And in, it means literally to observe fully. When you are to consider, it doesn't, it's not just a superficial thing. To consider one another is something that goes into a degree of depth, if you want to put it that way. And to the extent to observe fully, not superficially. So in other words, the idea behind this is that we are to perceive or to discover, to understand. And so here the scripture says, consider one another. It's one thing to just consider another person in a light, superficial sense, but the Scripture is exhorting us this morning to go a bit in the, in the greater depths of this, uh, to take the time and make the effort to be considerate, to understand. To, um, uh, the word actually in the Greek means to consider attentively, to fix one's eyes or mind upon. So in other words, uh, we are thinking and we are considering individuals and in doing so, we are uh, taking uh, the effort and time to really understand them, to be considerate of them, to know who they are, to know where they're at, 
to know some of the depths of their, uh, of their own uh, life and to understand him. So let us consider one another. And so, again, this is not something that's contrary to our nature. Or this is something, sorry, that is contrary to our nature. And uh, so we have to consider one another because by nature we tend to be a little bit more selfish. Amen? We can be a little bit more self-centred. Amen? And so it's in light of those things that we uh, must take heed uh, to this, uh, this truth that we are to consider one another. Because, as I said to you before, filial love comes much more natural. It's easy to hang around with people and to, consider, and to relate to people that we consider to be like us. True? And so we, that's just natural. It comes naturally. We hang around with those that are like-minded, that we click with, that we associate with. But you see, when it comes to this particular scripture, it's to cause it calling us to, uh, to extend ourselves, to be broader in that and extend ourselves to others in an agape sense, not in a filio sense. And that means that to do that, then we're going to have to love according to the love of God. See, we like those that like us, but I've said it before, we are called not to like but to love. And as one person, uh, as I've heard it over the years, we are to love with the love of the Lord. Amen? I think I've heard Margaret use that time, term many a time. Sister, you have. And what we mean by that is we have to learn to love people that are difficult to love. That's what, that's what we mean by that. I have to learn to love with the love of the Lord because my natural love can't go to that extreme. I'm not as considerate when it comes to these things. I can easily just, you know, just... Uh, the way in which we can conduct ourselves. But the agape love of God causes us to love with the love of the Lord, uh, uh, even those that there might be some things about others that we don't like. God forbid that that could happen, but that's the truth. And so we now, we are, we are operating on a higher law. It's the law of love, it's the law of Christ, and it's the agape love of God. That is to, to manifest. And in this sense, the love feast finds its expression in this way. And the scripture says, consider one another. Show genuine interest and concern for one another. Understand one another. Discover one another. Now listen, there's a reason for this. This is not an end in itself. This is the end because the scripture says, consider one another in order to stir up love, to stir up the agape love of God. Now again, consider this, because the word stir here in the Greek is an interesting word as I studied it, because it has uh, uh, two uh, meanings that are opposite to one another in, in its application, even though there's a fundamental truth here. But the word stir means to incite. There's a good sense and a bad sense. There's a, good, there's a positive and a negative aspect to this word. It just depends on, uh, on, on how it's used. So we are to stir up love, not to stir up strife, right? So because to, the word stir in the, uh, means to incite or it means to stimulate, to sharpen alongside in a good sense. So to stir up in this case, we are stirring up love, the agape love of God. 
is what we are stirring up and we are wanting to manifest and display in our lives. But yet, there's the, there's the negative, and in the negative sense, to, to stir, it can also mean to irritate, provoke, to arouse, to anger. And so I thought about that in, a, in, a, in the honest and true sense of the word, to stir up love. Because we can get stirred up by people, amen? We can get agitated by people. We can get irritated by people. And uh, it's just the way it is. When you get married, you irritate each other, amen? <laughs> it's getting quiet. Those, I, there, I, there can be irritants. But in this instance, what I'm saying here is that those things do exist, but when we consider the love of God, the love of God becomes superior. The love of God overrides. The love of God is to take on, and in, in, in the agape sense, and then those things can, can um, uh, are to at least be diminished. And it's the same principle, whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in a church, uh, uh, or whatever the, uh, whether it's in the people of God, and that's the reality. And so, so we are to stir, the Bible says, stir up love. Stir up love. And so when you think about this, one relates to the flesh, because if you walk according to the flesh, you'll manifest the works of the flesh, as the Bible says. Or if you walk according to the Spirit, you will manifest the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. The fruit for the Galatians 5, for the fruit of the Spirit is love. And so these are the things that if we are to walk according to the flesh, then there'll be the negative aspects. There's the jealousies, there's the envies, there's the uppers, the rest. There's all of those things that are highlighted that come natural to the human nature. Or if we walk according to the spirit, as Galatians will tell us, we'll manifest the fruit. And that fruit is one of those primarily being, in this instance, love, the agape love of God. Stir up love. Now think about this, because God is love. And the Bible says that we love him because he first loved us. So God stimulated something in us that was first manifest in him. So by the love of God being manifested to us, by the love of God being experienced by us, it stimulates us to love him, in this, to love him back. We love him, the scripture says, because he first loved us. And so in order to stir up love, God himself is the first and foremost in demonstrating that, in that there's no greater love than to lay down your life. We know all those scriptures. But yet we find the principle here, and in the same manner we are called to stir, consider one another in order to stir up love. The agape love of God amongst us must be manifested and seen amongst us because uh, if it's not, uh, then the flesh will permeate uh, and, you know, as uh, James says, we'll be devouring one another. So, we love him. Verse 25 of the Hebrews says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Now, I don't want to go into the depth of this, I'm just laying a foundation, but I'll just make the point that this is why it's important for the people of God to be together in fellowship. Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves, as is the manner of some. Because if we're going to be considering others, 
then it is imperative and important that we are in the house of God, that we are there, amen. And so, because it's, it's very easy to be inconsiderate. Oh, I'm just going to stay home today, just take a day off. Well, it's very easy to be self-indulgent. It's very easy to just to take that back step. And I'm sure the flesh at times wants, you know, is tempted to do so. But we say to ourselves, uh, no, uh, I'm, going to be I'm going to consider others, not myself, uh, and I'm going to be there because I'm going to be in fellowship and be refresh others and be refreshed by others. And so it's the, the whole issue of, of being considerate because where individuals isolate, where individuals withdraw, they are not stirring up love uh, but, uh, but the Bible would call it being more concerned about themselves. And so we, we, don't, we don't want to be characterized by that. We want to avoid it. So in saying all of that, and in just having a brief look at those two verses, I want to consider with you the love feast that we find in the Bible. Because to consider one another to stir up love, the agape love, and one of the manners in which this is facilitated is what we call a love feast or an agape meal. And so, again, however you want to call it, but the principle's the same. And so it's interesting, as you study the Bible, as you look at the church and as you, as you examine these things, you begin to see that we, uh, we find the expression, and it's only once in the New Testament, and it's in Jude, uh, Jude verse 12, where uh, Jude uses the phrase, a love feast, your love feasts. Now, this is where the term comes from. There are other references as well. In, uh, but what's interesting, when Jude uses it, just to establish the context, he's talking about false teachers who are amongst them, and they are in the love feast. They are fellowshipping in, in, in a, with the brethren, but they are false teachers, uh, and they are more concerned with themselves, uh, and as a result of that, they are, um, try, they are negating the agape love of God. But you see, this is how it works. Peter himself, he talks about false teachers in First Peter. Uh, sorry, Second Peter chapter um, uh, chapter two. He also makes reference to the fact that there are false teachers, and he says, "While well, they feast with you, but they serve only themselves." And so again, it's a similar principle. Actually, let me read verse twelve of of Jude. He says, "They are spots." In your love feasts, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They're not considering others, they're serving themselves. They're not seeking to stir up the love of God, they're concerned with their self agenda and their own interests and serving their own God, which is their own belly. And so, this is where we find this phrase, love feasts. But I want to look at the greater context of this feast. Because it's something that we see in the scriptures and it's something that we see right in the inception or birthing or beginning of the church right back in the book of Acts chapter 2. And so if you go there in Acts chapter 2, you see that one of the results of where God poured out his spirit on the day of Pentecost. And you begin to see what began to form and establish itself. And these are various principles that have held the church in good stead. But in verse 42, it says, 
And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in breaking of bread and in prayers. So here it is. They continued steadfastly. It was a common, consistent practice. And they were not just in doctrine and teaching, but in fellowship with one another. And so in verse 46, you see it again. It says, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and, uh, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. And so you see the early church is coming together. They are in fellowship. There is a, there, this is, they are feasting together. And so this is where we see already the formation of the love feast that is being manifested amongst the people of God and will always be seen amongst the church and the brethren. It's a foundation for fellowship. It's a vital part of the church's health and development. See, where these things lack, where there is no enriching fellowship of the brethren, where there's no study of God's word, where there's no uh, fellowship where we can come together as a church, I tell you, it affects the health of the church and the development spiritually of the church. These are critical components. That's why we have an agape meal. It's not just to come together and, and, uh, you know, and do whatever. We can do the same thing over and over. But there is a dimension to this that I want us to understand, the spiritual aspect or spiritual component. And we're talking about the agape love of God being on display. It, what's also interesting is we also find that during these feasts or this love feast, it was also a time where they would come together and they would have and partake of the Lord's communion as well. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul the Apostle shows us this and, he, and uh, that, they were, that they were doing this. But you know, the sad thing is that they were coming together, the church was coming together for its love feasts, but it lacked one ingredient. And you know what it was? Love. love. That's right. It lacked love. They were coming together for their love feasts, but they, were, they failed to demonstrate the vital aspect of what it was all about, and that was the agape love of God. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And it's interesting, in verse 20, let's read it, as Paul brings a, uh, a correction to them. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 20, he says, Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is, is it, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each of you takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you not despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you you. See, in other words, they weren't considering one another. They weren't seeking to stir up love. They weren't seeking to manifest the love of God amongst themselves, but they came together and everyone says, I'm starving. They were gluttons and drunkards and they were getting drunk and they were eating and being inconsiderate of others around them. And Paul looks at their conduct at this feast and he says, this is appalling. 
This is contrary to the purpose, and the purpose being the agape love of God. And so, so the very thing that it's supposed to establish was the very thing that was missing, the love of God. They were thinking of themselves. They were self-centered, self-indulgent. And Paul condemns them for this. And in fact, you will find some of the strongest words and language used in the New Testament where Paul speaks about their conduct at these feasts and he says it's so unacceptable an offense in the sight of God that he says that there's a consequence for your actions in, this, in, 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 this, in light of this. And you read on and you begin to see that Paul begins to say, uh, because uh, you have not judged yourselves, God is bringing his judgment and chastisement on you. And he says, many of you are sick and many of you are, uh, are dying, even falling, they're dying. People are dying as a result of God's judgment amongst his people. Because God is, is not going to accept this spirit, the spirit of the world, the spirit of self, the spirit of self-love that is contrary to the very purpose of God, being the agape love of God that should be manifesting amongst us. And so, so, so serious it was. See, agape meals are to be exactly that. They are to be love where the love of God is manifesting and flowing through us and, uh, and manifesting to one another amongst us. So what's also, and which is another thing I want to point out, because I said to you the, the phrase love feast um, was first in Jude uh, used and in the context of false teachers. Peter uses it as well, that while they feast with you, meaning false teachers. And if you look again at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you just go back a few to verse 17, I didn't go there, I started at verse 20, but it's, uh, Paul says, Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that, you are that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. So in other words, what Paul's saying is, what he's basically saying is, I'm, I'm hearing that there are divisions, and we, we read about that in, earlier in the epistle. And so there's, they're, they're walking according, Paul calls them carnal, because one says, I'm of Paul, one, I'm, I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Jesus. And, and he says this sectarian spirit is contrary to the spirit of God. And so there is these divisions, and these divisions are not godly divisions. And so he says, uh, uh, I'm hearing that there, there are these divisions, and he says, this is not a good thing. But then he says, but there must be factions amongst you. So in other words, where there is false teachers, in, as Jude and, um, and Peter point out, and where they are trying to operate in the church, we just don't stand back and say, I'll oh, just love them. No, 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 you have to judge false teaching. You have, there must be factions. Where there is perpetrated doctrinal error, we don't just, for the sake of unity, compromise those things. They must be dealt with because they, the, the spirit of false teaching will, is like leaven that leavens the lump and it will undermine the agape love of God because these false teachers and their, the doctrines that they hold will quench and they will affect the church. So in these types of contentions, they are good. They are commendable. There must be factions so that the truth can be preserved and upheld. But, 
But Paul is saying there is a division that is amongst you that is not godly. It is, a, it is of a human spirit. And he says this is not good. And so isn't it true? Because uh, um, you may have heard this statement uh, if you've been a Christian for long enough. Uh, and, it, and it holds truth. But we say in, um, in essentials, unity. Or, uh, actually, what's the, what's the phrase exactly? It says uh, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. And so, because let's face it, who he, do we, everyone that's here today, do we agree on every little detail of the Bible? Are we all in full accord and harmony? No. Hmm. no. He's right. <laughs> there's going to be some things that we're just going to, oh, no, the scripture says, you know, we, we, we discuss these things. It's just the nature and it always has been. But see, these fall into the category of non-essentials. But you know, the sad thing is, is that they have brought division into churches where they should not be bringing division. And the thing that gets quenched in these contentions is the love of God. The agape love of God is being quenched, and this is not healthy, and this is not to be perpetrated, and so we must avoid that spirit. And so, you know, you might win an argument or you might, you know, but these things divide. These can, can break down relationships. These things can separate church members. These things can cause church splits. And really, when you think about it, it was over a non-essential. When it comes to fundamentals, we will not compromise. And if that means that we bring division and that means that someone has to walk out the door, so be it. I have no apologies. But when it comes to this aspect of things, uh, this is not what we want to harness and what we want to see. Because, uh, because when it comes to contending over these issues, uh, we, we will fall into the trap. And let's be honest, who's fallen into it? Gee, just me. <laughs> but we can. And yet, so we have to learn the lesson of the agape love of God. We have to learn this lesson and uh, as Paul is, 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 is instructing us. And so uh, we have to maintain unity. We must demonstrate love, charity being love, the agape love of God. Not the filial love, but the agape love of God. We have to learn this lesson in life, to consider one another and to stir up love. You know... Really, this process is, is for, for the Christian is moving from immaturity to maturity. It's a maturing process. And I was thinking about it as I was preparing this message and pondering it. And I remember many, many years ago as I read and, and studied and things like that, I came across a, a, a particular teacher who, who shared some thoughts and he, he, he put it under the the banner of others, or he called it otherism. Because he talked about how human nature fundamentally is orchestrated towards selfism. But it must make the transition to otherism. Okay? Now keep that in mind because the, this is a principle. And it finds itself in scripture, it finds itself in life as we know it. But we must make this transition and one man said these words, the supreme transition in the human heart is from selfism to otherism. And so I thought about that. 
And when you think about it, let's be honest, when you grow up, when you're born, what do you do? You go, feed me, feed me. It's all about me, 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 me. But then as you grow up into a, uh, into a young adult and life begin, you take on the responsibilities of life, things shift. But still, it's about me, right? But then what happens in the process of life, generally speaking, uh, people, they get married. And then all of a sudden, that there's a shift. But not only is there a shift when you get married, there is a major shift when you have children, because what begins to happen now is my life is now not about me, it's about them. I live for them. I, I'm, and so this is the tragedy in, in the modern world where uh, people are married, they've got kids, and it's still about me. It's not about me now. See, the, and so God has orchestrated the life, just as we know it, where there's a transitioning I remember a man that I knew, he was, again, a perfect illustration of this point. He got married at an older age, and he got, then he had a child, their first child, and he said these words, he said, there's a new boss in the house. <laughs> and think about it. And now I have to do what they say. Because I have to attend, because they can't look after themselves, and this is how the mother develops, and the father too, because we have to provide, and the very things that surround that, and there's a shift, and we now have to take responsibility. We've got, it's not about me, it's about them, and we serve and we live in this capacity, and this truth is divinely structured by God, and it is the same in the church of Jesus Christ, in which we are to transition. It's not about me now, it's about others. And it's about serving others. It's about others and ministering to others, considering others. One man summed up the modern church. He said it this way. He says, too many people conduct their lives cafeteria style, self-service only. Hey, true. Um, which church am I going to find? Because let's say there's no perfect church. Okay. As soon as you get there, it's ruined. So when we come to assembly and we come to a church in the midst of its imperfections, and as long as it, again, I'm not saying, actually, don't worry, but my point is, is that you must transition because now how can I add? What can I do? How can I give? How can I serve? And it's that, it's that dynamic that is to be harnessed amongst the people of God not what I can get, but what I can give. So, one, uh, one man said these words, a man cannot be a member of a family and remain an utter egoist. He can't. But you know, the sad thing is, is that's what happens so many times. Men, they go through their midlife crisis, you know, and so they, it's about me, me. They want to relive their youth. But no, it's not about you anymore. It's about now the next generation, the, your progeny, your, what you have produced, and now you must serve and you must give and you must live and pour yourself. And so that's how it works. Consider one another, stirring up love. And we can do that most times in our natural families, but also we must transition that into the church. And in saying that, can I conclude by just sharing a few thoughts? See, the Bible tells us that we are to have unity 
in diversity. Because let's face it, we're not all the same. We are very different people. And yet we are to have a unity of the Spirit. And the Bible teaches us again in Corinthians that, that each of us have been, we are who we are because God created us that way. And we have unique gifts from God and they are for the benefit of the church. You see? And this is what Paul teaches us. Actually, just turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In verse, 20, uh, uh, verse 22, we'll read from there. Actually, we'll read, actually, so, sorry, we'll read from verse, verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are not one body, but, uh, sorry, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit you were baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one, but many mem members, many, many members. For if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, it is, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is, there, is it therefore not of the body? So Paul is illustrating here. Now listen to what it says in verse 18. He says, But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body as just as he pleased. And if they were all members, uh, uh, where would the body be? Now there are many members, but yet one body. And so again, Paul, you can read this in your own time. But he's, he's illustrating the fact that each of us are members individually of a corporate body and we have, we have been put there by God and God wants to use us to serve one another, the greater being the, bringing health to the body. But you can read that in your own time, but as you read that, what is it that comes directly afterwards? Because Paul talks about those aspects of, the, of individuals, but he says this, he, uh, he says uh, in verse 29, Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, do all have gifts of healings and so forth? But he says in verse 31, But earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I'll show you a more excellent way. And what does Paul launch into? The agape love of God. You see, each of us have a role and a purpose in the body of Christ. We, have been, we are individual, but we are corporate. We are one. We're being baptized into one body. And each of us contributes something to the body for the edifying of the body. And uh, in, in actual fact, it's in Ephesians uh, where it talks about, again, God placing people in the body. And he says that, uh, in these words, uh, if I can go to um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, specifically, where Paul says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the affecting, effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. 
The agape love of God is so manifest amongst us that it edifies the body. It causes maturity of the body. It causes growth of the body. And this is where an agape meal, or love feast as they are called, this is where they facilitated this very thing. And where it was contrary and where these things were being, where the love of God was being quenched, God did not treat these things lightly. But you can see here, the greatest gift is love. And then Paul goes into a whole chapter where he talks about and defines, if he says, without love I am nothing. Though I speak with the tongues of angels, though I can have all knowledge, though I do this and do that and work all miracles, he says, it's all worthless because if I don't have the agape love of God, I am nothing. Think about that. And when you read those words there about love, you realise how many times we can fall short. But yet, we must strive. We must allow the Spirit of God to work in us, to, to build up the, the agape love of God amongst us, the love of God amongst us. We must love one another with the love of the Lord. And there's nothing better than agape meal to facilitate it. Amen? You thought you were all coming here for some chicken, didn't you? <laughs> I know you can't wait. <laughs> but let me say this, amen. It is not the food, it's the fellowship. It's spending time with one another and, 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 and considering one another to stir up love. You know, the Bible says, as I conclude, in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 17, it says, Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. And it's true. As Brother Sam would say, just bring some bread. <laughs> just some bread will be fine. But it doesn't matter. As long as we have the love of God and it's manifesting, you know what? Even if it's a dinner of herbs. But you know what? I do prefer a fatted calf. Let's just get rid of the hatred and put the love. All right? God bless you. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we just pray that you would surely fill our hearts with the love of God. Lord, that we would take heed to the word of God this morning, that we would understand the agape love of God that is to, Lord, be in us and manifest through us. And Lord, I pray that that would be the case this morning as we partake of this meal, that we would, Lord, consider one another to stir up love as your word tells us to. And I pray you'd bless your people in the name of Jesus. Amen.